Diane, and uh, thanks for the, the invitation to uh, speak with the symposium today. Uh, I want to begin with the observation that sports celebrity is a vehicle for exploring often contradictorily intertwined elements in the construction of national identity, as the biographical vicissitudes of national sporting celebrities frequently intersect with and come to represent significant sociocultural moments and transformations of national identity. As Steve Jackson and David Andrews argue, rather than offering plenty visible truths, the sporting body is also a strategic site for understanding contemporary debates about identity politics and consumer capitalism. Now, although it's a minority spectator and participant sport in Ireland, rugby receives a disproportionately large amount of media coverage in Ireland uh, due to its annual European Six Nations Championship, the Quadrennial World Cup, and the European Champions Cup, in which Ireland's four provinces currently compete. The specific focus of this paper is a variety of Irish media representations of uh, Irish rugby players as celebrities in the period from 2008 onwards. The paper examines how, since the 2008 financial crisis and the end of the Celtic Tiger, Irish rugby players have been projected as exemplary of the neoliberal management of physical and economic risk in an increasingly brutal sport, uh, where internal squad competition and the threat of career curtailment are constantly stressed. New stories dealing with players' successful struggles with diet and injury and that promote personal post-career educational and business investments highlight the optimising of both the physical capital and the social capital afforded by celebrity status. The specific associations of players as brand ambassadors with healthy, home-produced Irish food products or investment in sports science technologies are particularly significant. Such textual constructions intersect with and help to legitimise the pervasive discourse of economic recovery from the crash and its devastating impact on the Irish economy. Now, for the purposes of brevity and focus, I will assume the audience's familiarity with the general narrative of the rise and fall of the Celtic Tiger as a context for these representations. In the 1990s and 2000s, successive governments tax incentivised courting of inward foreign direct investment combined with public-private partnerships, privatisation of public services, light financial regulation, and relatively low levels of health and social services spending uh, in Ireland constitute a variation on an international pattern. When the guaranteeing of banking deposits following the 2008 global financial crisis precipitated Ireland's loss of national sovereignty, the arrival of the Troika in 2010, the resultant imposition of structural reforms and spending cuts in exchange for the bailout was fully compatible with the neoliberal economic policies in which both the existing and subsequent governments were committed. As I've argued uh, recently in an article with Claire Scully, a key thematization of the post-2008 collapse in Irish media was the notion that we collectively had lost the run of ourselves. Uniquely Irish phrase often used as a collective admonishment through the stupidity and corruption of the political and financial spheres and the excessive consumption and metaphorical corpulence of the Celtic Tiger economy often imagined as a corporeal entity bloated through allegedly excessive public spending. This was a displacement of a banking crisis onto collective responsibility as a moral failure. The correspondingly metaphorical discourse of necessary fat reduction in the public sector became intertwined with the rhetoric of austerity economics. A key feature of this discourse was the promotion of collective discipline and self-denial as a form of moral asceticism. In a distinctly Catholic logic, by confessing the sins of excess, the penitent could find salvation. This logic spanned the discourses of both collective and personal recovery. The rhetoric of corresponding public service waste a variant on the moral and social vocabulary of virtuous necessity underpinned the justification of the ensuing rollout neoliberal policies of market conforming reform. However, the neoliberal discourse of personal responsibility, intertwined with a Catholic Irish, uh, with an Irish, a peculiarly Irish Catholic moral discourse of atonement for excess. In the post 1995 professional era, 
Irish rugby was repeatedly represented in Irish print and broadcast media as exemplary of how to negotiate the pressures of an increasingly marketised neoliberal economic environment while maintaining national cultural integrity and collective economic ownership. Rugby developed structures that facilitated competition but successfully retained and supported domestically based players through a welfare programme limiting games played per season, so extending individual careers in an increasingly attritional sport. In 2002, the Irish government introduced a scheme for athletes completing their careers in Ireland that allowed them to retrospectively reclaim taxes following retirement. Irish rugby benefited disproportionately given that all the national soccer team were based abroad and no other major Irish team in sport was professional. This is often cited as keeping key to keeping players at home in the national interest. So Tony Conlon's likening of rugby's centralised organisation to a semi-state cocoon, drawing an analogy with the state-owned companies formed following independence, typifies the celebratory commentary in Irish media. Cocoon observed that, uh, Conlon observed that in an era when the sport has been privatised and players elsewhere are worked brutally to generate revenue, Irish players are sheltered. The hyperbole surrounding Ireland's successful adjustment to professional rugby is typified by uh, RT Rugby presenter Tom McGurk's remark in 2003 that I've never seen a team as mentally fit as this one. The Irish were always gallant competitors from the plucky little island with one big game in us every season, but this is a fully professional team. You could call it a Celtic Tiger rugby team. However, there has been a significant interplay between media representations of the changing fortunes of Irish rugby and individual players and those of the state in the period since the fall of the Celtic Tiger. A year prior to the 2008 financial crisis, the Irish rugby team's failure to progress in the 2007 World Cup had led to considerable criticism in Irish media, often explicitly linked with the bloated consumption of the Celtic Tiger. Vince O'Toole, for example, uh, indicted the IRFU of players for a smugness spawned in a stagnant pool of easy money. The much-vaunted player welfare programme was now construed as a source of complacency for a first team unthreatened by internal rivals marginalised in the pre-tournament building. The Irish Times' chief rugby correspondent, Jerry Thornley, cuttingly remarked that rugby will not seem so sexy to the corporate world either. There's no doubt that not only the union, but coach Eddie O'Sullivan and many of the untouchables have dipped their bread considerably with various endorsements and deals in the last few months. The team's 2009 Six Nations Grand Slam championship victory was often construed in correspondingly symbolic terms as atonement for earlier excess. The confessional tone of penitent retrospection uh, in subsequent player interviews, comments and profiles corresponded in turn with the theme of shame and guilt in Irish media following the crash. Thus, Captain Brian O'Driscoll's resurgence to lead the team to the 2009 Six Nations Championship was read as a lesson to the nation, for example. He has had to apply himself to the less glamorous unseen work of defence, graft, of poaching the ball on the ground, of dummy running to create space for faster men. Now he is a more mature, complete player. He is more real, in a sense. We, a nation who rose and fell with him over the last nine years, might rise again a little and permit ourselves a small recessionary celebration. A cup of bottle and a cream cracker, perhaps. The humorous indication of what Tom Ingalls calls uh, an Irish Catholic habitus of self-denial and humility here as a rejoinder to Celtic type of excess is unmistakable as is the implied warning against the potential moral corruptions of professionalism. The theme of Back to the Future confession as a path to redemption was a peculiarly Irish cultural phenomenon at this time. The rugby team's 2007 failure, the 2009 success, became enmeshed in the hegemonic national narrative of hubristic excess, punishment and confession. 
for the championship victory in 2009 widely depicted as both metaphor and prescription for general economic recovery. The Irish independence financina, for example, translated the 2009 Six Nations victory into a bullet point recipe for the government. Grind out the hard yards, get the job done, be brave in stepping up at vital moments, etc. In more recent representations of individual players, there has been a notable emphasis on personal responsibility for shaping their own destinies. Players are depicted as the drivers of modernization and change in rugby, but are also increasingly exemplars of a neoliberal logic of productive self-discipline on the field and entrepreneurial initiative of it. This also chimes with the theme of uncertainty regarding the future in austerity Ireland, echoing the disciplinary tone of welfare reforms and government-imposed public sector wage cuts and productivity requirements in successive national labour agreements. To a degree, patterns in representation of rugby, Irish rugby are reflective of an international shift from the focus uh, in rugby coaching discourse on top-down management to coach-led enablement of players to extract maximum value from their bodies. A standard reference point is the transformation of the New Zealand All Blacks from their own poor performance in 2007 to win the 2011 World Cup, as eulogised in James Kerr's widely reviewed book, Legacy. Its subtitle, What the All Blacks Can Teach Us About the Business of Life, signified its more general aim, which was to show how coaching as a technology for producing self-reliant and self-disciplining players could become a role model for business leaders. The All Blacks' powerful international brand combines the emphasis on individual mind over matter discipline with the romance of the national stadium of 4 million. This was the uh, 2011 World Cup uh, slogan when the World Cup was uh, staged in New Zealand. Um, though, as Jay Scherer and Steve Jackson show in their work, uh, their critical work on uh, representations of the New Zealand uh, All Blacks, this is problematic to say the least. Um, Manley, Palmer and Roderick in their research uh, showed how the proliferation of GPS and related technologies in English rugby academies has given rise to forms of Deleuzean rhizomatic surveillance through which rather than there being a central point of surveillance, any point of contact established with the football academy athletes either within or away from the academy allows for a point of surveillance and the production of information or feedback. While they argue that this leads to numerous anxieties related to resulting public humiliation in the workplace, Kerr's All Blacks narrative, amplified through its circulation in international media reviews and comments, harnesses the voluntarily and relentlessly monitored and self-monitored player to a national cause. In Irish media, there is a comparable emphasis on engineering success through management and coaching, with players willingly participating in multiple forms of surveillance as empowerment. This has been particularly evident since the appointment of New Zealander uh, Joe Schmidt as national coach in 2013. Schmidt's coaching methods, except extensive use of statistics, posing questions of his players that imply self-discovery of the solutions, using the metaphor of the mind gym, are widely reported. At a managerial level, the rebranding of the IRFU's player welfare as player performance management reflects the pervasive new public management discourse in international rugby such that players become human resource components whose performance, rather than welfare, is foregrounded. At a player level, there is a matter-of-fact embrace of surveillance technologies for individual and national interests, entailing relentless comparison with other players' stats as the team becomes a potentially ever-changing amalgam of dispensable individuals. The marked instrumentalism with which players discuss their own bodies is significant. Euphemistic references to injury management, playing through serious discomfort, or looking forward to sweating and hurting again. These are all quotes from McCarry's uh, recent book on the professional era in Irish rugby, are quite typical. 
Such matter-of-factness is often stressed through writers' use of full stops to give a Hemingway-esque paratactic flavour to statements, as in, we're not playing table tennis here, stop. Lads get hurt, stop. It's part and parcel of the game, stop. This is Jamie Heaslip, um, quoted in uh, McCarrick's book. However, the implied toughness, durability, and sense of personal control coexist with anxiety regarding career curtailment or replacement. The contrast between profiles of Leinster, Ireland, Per Sean O'Brien from 2009 to 2015 is indicative. In earlier articles, his rural and farming background are stressed in a romantic rejoinder to the perception that the province of Leinster is effectively limited in player recruitment and popular appeal to the elite South Dublin urban area, as implied by the fictional spoiled by caricature Russell Carroll Kelly. By 2015, he typifies the neoliberal language of target setting and optimal exploitation of his worn body, both stressing that he no longer sneaks away to his farm during training camps and articulating a fear of losing out. You stop doing those things, you have to get your body in the right place. The changes indicate O'Brien's growing wisdom kicking in in terms of how to live up to the coach's expectations or not. He embraces Schmidt's scorched earth policy with players. Uh, that's according to John Waterson, who uh, of that article. Getting your body in the right place implies anxious comparative self-assessment and hierarchical positioning, place being metaphorical. Voluntary self-denial and submission to punishing training regimes and contests becomes the price of keeping and knowing your place. There is a meeting here of Foucault's technology of the self, which permits individuals to effect by their own means or with the help of others a certain number of operations on their own bodies and souls, thoughts, conduct, and way of being, and technologies of power, which determine certain conduct of individuals and submit them to certain ends of domination. Rugby provides a theatre of sorts in which neoliberalism's competitive individualism is played out brutally, given the nature of the sport, in ways that are legitimated by the context of national purpose. Fellow squad members are simultaneously the fiercest rivals and closest compatriots. The neoliberal mantra that a job for life is gone is dramatised in a game where the attrition rate through injury is very high. This is evident also with how the intersection of the focus on training, discipline, and scientific measurement with business investments and post-playing career and personal welfare management connects with a broader narrative of post-recession recovery in Ireland, through players necessarily becoming entrepreneurs of themselves. Faced with the challenge of man managing bodily risk and career and economic precariousness in a sport where earnings and contracts remain relatively limited, Irish rugby players are presented as exemplars of successful risk management and optimistic forward planning for retirement. Indeed, many interviews and stories double as adverts for player-endorsed products and services. A Sunday Business Post uh, article, um, for instance, highlights the Irish Rugby Union's business mentoring programme, developed by former banker and Ireland manager uh, Paul McNaughton, while the Irish Rugby Players Union uh, operates its... Uh, um, reported to operate a similar system with the Institute of Directors, offering access to senior business figures who give up their time for free. Such articles present players as smart, clued-in guys, um, in the words of uh, former Ireland Munster player Jerry Flannery, planning ahead, while effectively promoting the philanthropy and fraternity of the business world. Rugby's attrition rate is a salutary lesson in how the future, as Novotny argues, no longer loosely conceptualised as sufficiently remote to be able to absorb everything which had no place or was unwelcome in the present, has become more realistic, not least because the horizon of planning has been extended. Such player and team profiles offer neoliberal lessons in how to imagine and control the future, thereby reducing the sense of uncertainty in the present while using the anxiety of potential.
potential career curtailment to heighten the sense of urgency. Specific associations of uh, player, uh, players' business interests and brand ambassador work with the neoliberal logic are evident in their connections with the spheres of food, cuisine, diet, sports science, and the widely circulating discourses of health and well-being that stress personal responsibility, optimal efficiency, and relentless pushing of the body to extremity. Profiles of uh, Leinster Ireland player Jenny Heaslip, um, for instance, are almost caricatural. Heaslip's widely reported business interest in burger restaurants, bars, and sports science technology connect the typically scandalised spheres of potentially fattening food and alcohol consumption with sporting discipline. Rugby players' necessary maintenance of physical bulk is also frequently uh, cited in discussions of obesity, frequently framed in neoliberal discourse and pathological terms as a ticking time bomb threat to the taxpayer's purse through potential National Health Service cost. In the interplay between dietary and moral narrative, rugby players are contrastive models of virtue. A study of players' intestinal bacteria, for example, generated the following pun that interconnects physical condition and moral courage. Rugby stars have exceptional guts that help prevent obesity. Representations of the Leinster Ireland uh, players and brothers Rob and Dave Carney um, typify how players' self and business promotion is actively embraced, emphasising their farming backgrounds and in a variation on players' growing association with nutrition and food marketing, they are brand ambassadors for the former semi-state Finance National Dairy Council, the NDC. Rob Carney also typifies many players whose higher education in business and marketing is widely publicised. He undertook a master's dissertation on Leinster's brand equity while playing for the province and, like Jamie Heaslip, repeatedly connects sport and business as equivalents rather than metaphor and referent. Carney's career trajectory, he is also chair of the Players Association, offers a variation on how the rise of cultural intermediaries, as Bridget termed them, blurs the boundaries between the fields of journalism, entertainment, and marketing in rugby. Another instance is retired Ryan Driscoll's contracting to Teneo Holdings, a sports advisory firm. A rugby pundit on UK BT sports broadcasts and Irish news talk radio, O'Driscoll is reported to be looking forward to helping Teneo's clients redefine how they leverage sports to grow their brands. In a post-2008 era, these players exemplify the neoliberal extension of market logic to all spheres of society in striving to optimise the translation of physical into economic, cultural and social capital. Frequent emphasis on rugby stars' relative ordinariness and economic challenges notwithstanding. There is also a class specificity here that is reflective of rugby's enduring connections with the professional managerial class and its hegemonic status. 79% of the Irish team that beat France in 2014 are reported to have attended fee-paying schools. Irish rugby's associations with elite schools and networking in the business world echoes an international pattern in this respect. But the smallness of the country is such that the overlaps between the fields of politics, media, sport and business more easily depend on personal acquaintance and membership or friendship networks. The explicit links between sport and industry provide a more concrete materialisation of, while echoing, occurs more metaphorical and hypothetical connections in the case of the All Blacks. And uh, that's it.